You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. Well, thank you, team, for leading us in that. This is our last week in Ephesians, uh, a journey that started oh, the end of last February, one or two short breaks in the middle. Um, it's been a long series. I have personally benefited from it. I pray that you have as well. So let's, let's look to the word together, Springview, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Next week we will consider Jesus crucified and resurrected as we celebrate Easter together. The following two Sundays will be our annual pulpit swap. Joey Berkebein from Frankie with Bible Church will be here on April 28th and Mark Hazen from Emmanuel Bible Church in Saginaw will be here on May 5th. So we're looking forward to uh, some other preachers coming in the next couple weeks, and I know that there'll be a blessing and encouragement and a help to you. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 18, which is actually what we looked at last week, but we're going to talk this morning from verse 18 down to the end of the book in verse 24. So Ephesians 6, verse 18, this is God's Word. This is praying... At all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. The words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us now as we consider your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit who inspired these words would speak to us reveal the truth of them to us that they would seem to us glorious and good worthy of belief worthy of obedience worthy of trust father i pray you would use your word in a powerful way in our hearts and in our lives and in our church for your glory and for our joy in you i pray in jesus name amen Well, we're reminded this morning as we read these last six verses in Ephesians that Ephesians is a letter, a letter inspired by the Spirit of God, to be sure, a a letter that is the Word of God. It carries the authority of God Himself, but a letter, no less, written by a man to a church that he had helped found, written by a man to a group of people that he dearly loved written by a man concerned that his spiritual children would grow up into all that God wanted them to know and do and be. 
written by a man whose own life had been changed forever by the gospel and wanted everyone else across the whole known world to experience that same glorious change. Written by a man to people he was likely never to see again. So as he closes out this letter, we want to see, we want to ask, what's on his mind? What is it that he needs to say? He's almost certainly never going to see them again. Probably, they will never receive another direct message from him again. And this letter wasn't followed up by a lengthy email correspondence. So what is a deeply spiritual, personal concern for others look like here? What would it take for us? What would it look like at Springview if we were concerned for each other's spiritual growth and welfare and maturity like Paul is here? Well, three things are necessary that I want to see here in this text this morning as Paul addresses the Ephesians at the end of his letter. Here's the first one, boldness. The first one that's necessary to help others spiritually, to express that concern, is boldness. Paul says in verse 19, Pray for me, words may be given me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly. What does that boldness require? Well, two things. First of all, ironically enough, it requires reliance. It requires a kind of reliance. See, some of us are naturally bold. We don't care what anybody thinks. We just say it like it is. Some people say, I've had people say, I just, I don't have a filter. That's not sure that's good, but I don't have a filter. I just say what I think. I say it like it is. They're just naturally bold. Some of us are more cautious, maybe a little more timid. We, the conflict is difficult. Maybe the rejection can be hard for us. But good news Boldness for Christ doesn't require us to draw on a deep well of personal courage and cleverness, but rather to draw on the inexhaustible fountain of God's grace and provision. Because Paul says here, pray that words may be given to me. Words may be given to me. So whether we're naturally bold or naturally cautious, we need to learn to rely on God's grace and provision to say the things to each other that need to be said. You know, probably Paul's drawing on a couple few notable biblical examples when he does this. You remember Moses in the Old Testament. Moses, God comes to Moses, who's been raised as a prince in Egypt, and says, you need to lead my people. He says, your people, Moses, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is eager to do it, right? No. No, he doesn't. And he says in Exodus 4, after God tells him, go talk to Pharaoh, Moses says in Exodus 4, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. God's looking for someone to go talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses says, I've never been a very good talker. I mean, not before he asked, not since he asked. I'm just not a very good talker. And God says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what you should speak. God says, I'll give you the words. And Jesus says something similar to his own disciples in Luke 21. 
He says, uh, he talks about the trouble and difficulty and persecution they'll face. And he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Jesus says to his disciples, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus, don't worry. Just when the time comes, I'll tell you what you need to say. I'll help you. You say, I'm not very clever. I don't have a good memory. I don't. Jesus, I will help you. You can rely on me. That's good news for those of us who aren't naturally bold. We sometimes have a hard time saying the things that need to be said in a difficult situation where conflict or rejection might happen. Jesus, I'll help you. I'll help you with it. Paul says, pray. Pray that God will give me the words to say. It's also good for us who are maybe a little too bold, who say a little too much, a little too quickly. Maybe we need to wait a little bit and rely on God to give us wise words to say rather than impulsively just saying whatever comes to our mind and seems obvious to us. Where do these bold words of reliance need to happen? Well, certainly in evangelism, certainly in sharing the good news. That's particularly what Paul has in mind here. A passive risk-averse concern for the lost usually turns out to be no real concern at all. So our concern for those outside of Christ requires a certain kind of boldness empowered by God and His Spirit. People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news. But it's not just in evangelism that this boldness is required. It's required with those of us who are in the church, too. If we just look back through Ephesians, turn back just a page to chapter 4. Paul's talking about the church being built up in maturity, growing spiritually. And he says in verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God means for the church to grow, to mature, to become more like Jesus as the members of the church speak God's words boldly and wisely to each other. We're not left to our own devices, our own accord. We're left with each other to encourage and help each other to speak those words. And that requires a kind of boldness. Sometimes, sometimes because we have to say hard things. Sometimes to people we love and care about. Look, if you're a parent, you know how this goes. Sometimes you have to say and do things with your kids that are hard for you. You've got to bring a kind of discipline, a kind of correction that you, that's hard to bring sometimes, but you do it because you, you love them. And so it is in the church. Sometimes we have to say things that are hard. Not because we want to be harsh, but because we love and we want to bring God's truth to bear on each other's lives. Sometimes it's hard, not because we have to say hard things, but because we're just not in the habit of doing it. We're just not in the habit of having those kind of conversations. We can talk about everything else except the spiritual part of our lives. Well, we need to grow in that. But that's one of the things we're trying to do in our together groups. We're trying to make talking about God and His Word and how He's working in our lives, we want to make that normal. We want to make that typical. We want to make it a normal part of our life and our conversation together, which is why I encourage you so strongly to join up uh, with our together groups. This kind of reliance on Christ, a bold reliance on Christ, speaking both to those outside the faith but also to each other in the church is very important. Paul says, pray for me that words may be given to me. There's a reliance that gives us boldness, but not just a reliance. We see here Paul also feels a responsibility. This boldness requires a kind of reliance 
and also recognizing a responsibility. He says in chapter 6, verse 18, or 19, or 20 rather, that he is an ambassador in chains. Paul sees himself as, you know what an ambassador is. An ambassador represents one country to another. And he says he's in chains because he is. Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. He is waiting for his opportunity to speak to Caesar. And what's he going to do when he talks to Caesar? Defend his case? Hire the best lawyer he can? Hopefully to get himself acquitted so he doesn't... That's not Paul's concern. He's not concerned about that one bit. Paul says, I want to go to Rome. And he appeared before Caesar. And what's he going to talk to Caesar about? Jesus. He's going to talk to Jesus, Caesar about his hope in Christ. Paul sees himself as an ambassador, as a serious God-given responsibility. We won't take time to turn back there, but, but this is a deep calling on Paul's life. He knows that's his job. Ever since, remember back Acts 9, Paul's converted on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded by the light as Jesus appears to him, and he goes in and he waits and prays, and eventually God speaks to Ananias, another disciple, and says, go to this particular place and find Paul there, and Paul can't see, he's blinded, and, and, and Ananias, you recall, is like, I'm not going there, but we all know what this guy's about, he's here to kill us. And Jesus said, no, no, this, this man, he says, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. From the very start of Paul's Christian experience, he has a commission on his life. He's an ambassador. He takes the good news of Jesus to people for God's sake. And he recognizes that's his responsibility. You know, you and I aren't called to be the apostle to the Gentiles like Paul was. But this doesn't mean we have no responsibility. It doesn't mean that no boldness is required of us. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore we are, not just him, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You recognize that God means for people to encounter Jesus and hear the good news through people like me and you. Paul says we're ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. When we were down in Florida, we were out, uh, Owen and I were out with his cousins and my brother-in-law golfing one afternoon. And uh, there was, or maybe we were swimming, I don't know what we were doing, but we were outside. And uh, as we were getting out of the van and we were walking over to whatever we were going to do, you look up in the sky and there's all these, well, they're they're not clouds, but they kind of look like clouds, and there's this plane writing messages in the sky. And uh, it was like one... I think said Jesus, but it was kind of blowing away. And then there was another one that's like, God loves. By the time they get to the end of loves, the God is starting to fill. I think it was probably supposed to say God loves you, because I know those phrases. I'm sharp like that. Uh, God loves you, I think, is where that was going. And, uh, but so, so God could communicate his message through planes in the sky. He could have it written in some other crazy sort of way. But the way God means to make his appeal to lost sinners is through us. We are ambassadors. God making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin brings spiritual death, eternal separation from God. But God in Christ has loved us He sent His Son to the cross to die, to take the punishment we should take ourselves. 
Jesus bears it for us and he rises to life so that those who put their faith and trust in him might rise to eternal life with him as well. He takes our punishment. We receive his righteousness. We then can be reconciled to God and it is our great privilege and our great responsibility. And all of this requires a a God-empowered boldness. We think, well, when I'm more clever, when I'm better connected, when I know more people, when I have all the answers to all the possible objections that might arise, then perhaps God says, you pray that God gives you the words you need to say. And he will. A boldness that has a reliance on God and sees the responsibility given to us to care for the spiritual welfare of others. Secondly, not just a boldness, though. We see in verses 21 and 22 a kind of brotherhood. Paul sends Tychicus, the beloved brother. Now, I don't mean to be gender-specific here. It could be brother and sisterhood. I needed something that started with a B because they're all going to start with B this morning. A kind of brotherhood. Paul sends Tychicus from Rome a long journey to Ephesus. Tychicus is probably from Ephesus uh, or that part of the world. And Paul sends him as an expression of his love and concern for the church in Ephesus. We see both their concern for Paul and Paul's concern for them. Look at verse 21. So that you may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Their concern for Paul. Paul's concern for them. There is a mutuality of concern. We'd see this if we just looked at their past together back in Acts chapter 20. Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem. He stops briefly to see the Ephesian elders, and he's making time, even though it's out of his way, because he wants to see them. He'd spent three years there. They come to see him. He warns them about trouble to come, encourages them to stay true to God. They weep when he tells them, you're never going to see me again. These are people that love and care for each other. And this, this concern is ongoing. It's been, it's been five or six years since he's seen them. They've not been keeping in touch by phone or social media. So why the continuing concern? No doubt things are changing at Ephesus. New people are coming and people are going. Someone else is pastoring and leading the church there. Paul's been on all sorts of trials and troubles and adventures in those five or six years. So why make time in his schedule or space in his heart or deprive himself of Tychicus' help in Rome in order to send him with this message? Why, why go to the trouble? I was at a funeral some time ago of an elderly man who passed away. At the luncheon afterwards, his one, his one daughter spoke. She she and her father had been estranged for decades. He had decided some 30 years earlier that he didn't really want anything to do with her anymore. I don't really know the reasons. And for the purposes of the story, I suppose it doesn't really matter. What was remarkable, though, is the way in which she continued to care for him, to be concerned about him and his life, to come to his funeral after all of that, to speak of her appreciation for him and of her love and care for him, of her forgiveness of him. Why would somebody do that? 
isn't it much more natural to say, you wrote me off, I'm writing you off? Why an ongoing concern and affection? I think because that's just what families do. That's just what people who love each other do. It shouldn't be the case that parents stop caring for their children. It shouldn't be the case that children stop caring about their parents. It shouldn't, even if they're separated by a great distance, even if communication is scarce, even if the relationship isn't everything that it should be, we recognize that families ought to continue through all obstacles and all distance to love and concern and be concerned for one another. Sometimes you hear a story of, of two siblings who haven't spoken for years. Now, there may be reasons. There may be good reasons. But we look at that and we know, oh, it shouldn't be that way. Oh, it shouldn't be that way. Perhaps when you get together with old friends. Uh, Kelly and I went last summer to her 20th high school reunion, which is a very interesting experience. Uh, we had a good time. It would be very strange if at that high school reunion, no one was interested in what happened in anybody else's life in the previous 20 years. It would be a very strange thing. We would expect people who go way back to be concerned, to want to know what's going on in each other's lives, even after 20 years to have concern and care. It's interesting. I went to this I didn't know anybody at this reunion. I didn't go to that high school. And yet to see the concern and interest, and we, just, we recognize the people that care about each other persevere, that it's an ongoing kind of concern. You know, though, for us, the immediate challenge often isn't maintaining long-term, long-distance friendships. For us, it can be a challenge to maintain close, proximate friendships and relationships. To bring a high level of concern and care for each other into the everyday, week-to-week -week life of our church. It's not just concerned over our people we haven't seen for a year or two or ten, but maintaining a concern for each other that isn't just Sunday morning to Sunday morning, but lasts throughout the week. I mean, look back a page again at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He just got done talking about the gospel call on their lives and how God has changed them. And he says, you've got to walk in a manner worthy of that, which looks like what? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And he says, God's worked in your life. He should bring you into a humble, selfless, sacrificial concern for each other that is maintained and becomes a significant part of how we follow Christ. Or verse 25 in chapter 4 puts it more pointedly. It says at the end of verse 25, for we are members of one of another. It's like, it's like you're part of the same body. Paul say in other places, it, it doesn't make any sense for your hand to say, well, I'm unconcerned with what's going on with my feet. Your hand and your feet are different, but if there's some mutual concern. Paul says, you... We're members of one body. Your concerns are my concerns. My concerns are your concerns. So, in verse 25, he says, we speak the truth. We speak the truth with each other. We have an ongoing concern. 
Springview ought to be a church where people have a deep, personal, and spiritual interest in each other. There's a couple ways to go at that. One of them is to look around and go, all right, well, who here? Who here has a deep, personal, spiritual interest in me? Step right up. Who has a deep, personal, spiritual interest in me? And, and that's a fair question, but not the best place to start. The best place to start is prayerfully asking God, who can I take a deep spiritual interest in here? It will never start with each of us demanding someone else take a spiritual interest in us. It starts with us selflessly and prayerfully taking a spiritual interest in others. That's the kind of people God wants us to be. Members of one another in that way. So, as we look at Paul's concern here in Ephesians 6, we see, first of all, the boldness. We see the brotherhood, this, this relationship, this mutuality of concern. And finally, we see, in verses 23 and 4, we see blessing. Blessing. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace, peace, love. That's, that's how this letter started back at the beginning. Chapter 1. Grace to you and peace, Paul had said. Paul is asking God to bless the Ephesians. In, in other words, he's praying for them. He's praying for them. Paul has himself been an enormous blessing to the Ephesians. But he's not the thing they ultimately need. The thing the Ephesian church most needs is not more of Paul, but more of God. That's good news. I don't know if you realize it, but that's good news. Because the people in your life that you love and care about won't always have you. But they'll always have God. Your children who you love and care for and who you want to see grow spiritually, they won't always have you. But they'll always have God. Friends, fellow church members that you may go close to and may, may be learning Christ together with, they may move away. They may not always have you. But they'll always have God. And so here Paul, at great distance from these Ephesians, likely they'll never receive correspondence from him again. Almost certainly they'll never see him again they won't have him in those ways but they have God and so he prays God's blessing on them as we ought to pray God's blessing on each other what does he pray for them he prays for them peace he prays for them peace He's taken up all of these issues in Ephesians already back in chapter 2. He talks about Jesus is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility between various peoples, Jews and Gentiles. Jesus brings us peace with God. God, by His grace, we go from being God's enemy to being adopted into His family. Jesus brings peace with God. Jesus brings peace with each other. That was the point in chapter 2. Jesus brings people together into one body. And, and this isn't a major theme for Paul here, but there's a sense in which peace with ourselves. We struggle with guilt. We struggle with trouble. We struggle with all sorts of things. And all through Ephesians, 
Paul is reminding us that God has accepted us by grace for Christ's sake. So he prays for them peace. And so what we pray for each other, peace. He prays for them love. Back in chapter 5, he had told them to be imitators of God and walk in love. Imitate God. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But probably most profoundly back in chapter 3, we looked at this several months ago, but turn back there again. Paul's praying for them there too. Look back at chapter 3. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is eager here, chapter 1 clearly as well, but really throughout this letter, that they would know how much God loves them. So he wants them to walk in love with each other, a sacrificial kind of concern, but also to know how deeply God has loved them in Christ. His love is not fickle. As we saw back in chapter 1, God set his love on his people before, before the world was even made. God had loved his people. God's love is deep and abiding and eternal. And following Christ faithfully, Paul knows, rises as we realize and recognize how much God has loved us. So we too ought to pray, both for our love for each other, but also to pray that we would know in our own hearts God's love and care for us. Finally, he prays for them grace. This is how the letter started back in chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace. And grace is a relentless theme throughout this book. In chapter 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. God has taken on well, chapter 2, verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God means to show his people in the coming age the immeasurable riches of his grace. How gracious will he be? Immeasurably gracious. Immeasurably gracious. Paul means for us to know that. So Paul wants them to have a greater knowledge of and a greater experience of God. He wants them to have greater power over temptation and trials, greater provision for their needs, greater awareness of all that God is for them in Christ. And so ought we pray for each other, grace as well, that we would know and rest in God's grace, that we would persevere in His grace to know the immeasurable riches that will be ours someday in Christ. So as we finish this letter to the Ephesians, I think it's fair for us to ask, do we know these blessings of God as we should? Do we know His peace? Do we know His love? Do we know His grace? Are we living in the fullness of that? How do we do it? 
How do we do all of that? Well, as we've seen throughout this letter to the Ephesians, we do that by going deeper and deeper into Christ. He is the source of God's grace. He is God's grace to us. The first half of Ephesians was all about what God has done and is doing through the gospel of Christ. And the second half of Ephesians has been all about what that means for us and how we are supposed to live, what God's grace to us in Christ is supposed to produce in us as we live to follow Christ. You know, here at Springview, the way we uh, have come to talk about that, and we take our cue from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, is that we are learning Christ together. Ephesians helps us see how we must learn Christ together. The idea of learning Christ is, is following Him, being His disciple. And it starts, just like Ephesians is laid out, it starts with knowing what God has done for us in Christ and trusting in that. And then living in light of what He's done. We don't live to earn God's favor. We don't obey or, or live righteous, holy lives so that God might accept us. He's accepted us purely by grace through faith. But rather as a response of gratitude and obedience, we live in obedience. We live in obedience and holiness before God. We are learning Christ together. I pray that our time in Ephesians, and frankly, as we move forward into the next thing, will help us continue to do that, to learn Christ together. That God would give us a boldness to speak God's word to others, both those in the faith and, and those out. That he would give us a reliance to do that and help us to feel the responsibility. That he would give us not just a boldness, but a brotherhood, a sense of concern and care for each other. And then finally, a kind of blessing, a prayerful concern for each other that, in which we're bringing each other before God at all times. Let's do that right now. Father, I pray. Pray that you would use the, your word in the life of your people. Father, we need your help in all things, at all times and in all ways. We are entirely dependent upon you. So, Father, I pray that you would use your word, use this letter to the Ephesians that we've spent so long in. I pray that it would be changing us, that it would be helping us to learn Christ together, that we would, as, as Ephesians 4 says, be, be putting off the old man, the old self, that's corrupted by sin, and be putting on the new self made in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. I pray that you would give us grace to do that. I pray that we would be an encouragement and a help to each other in that, that we would not see ourselves as a, a bunch of people flying solo in our spiritual walk and our spiritual lives, but that we would, we would pursue those things together, encouraging one another, helping one another, being the church that you've called us to be. I pray that you do this for your glory, for our joy in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Well, I want to thank you for coming this morning. It's been good to be here with you. Let me send you out with these words of benediction, um, taken right from the end here, the benediction of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Well, grace be to you. Have a great week.